Hello and welcome to Faith and Works, the podcast that takes a look at the happenings in the religious community uh, around metropolitan Detroit. My name is Robert Robert Jones. I'm pastor of Sweet Kingdom Missionary Baptist Church located in Detroit. And this afternoon I'm joined by Reverend Cindy Rudolph, who's the senior pastor at Oak Grove AME Church in Detroit. Also joined by Sheikh Muhammad Al-Masmari, who is the imam of the Muslim Unity Center in Bloomfield Hills and is chair of the Imams Council of Michigan. Uh, we're also joined by Rabbi Dorit Edut. She is with the Bay City Temple Beth Israel and also president of Dion the Detroit Interfaith Outreach Network. Also have uh, Ganga Rajkumar, who is an ex-officio member of the uh, Bharatiya Temple of uh, Metropolitan Detroit. So welcome to all. It is good to be here and it is good to talk with all of you. A very important subject we have all dealt with and continue to deal with the ramifications of worship during COVID. Let us sort of go around the table and start our conversation. Let's start with um, Rabbi Dorit. Okay. Well, I would talk about my temple, and I'll talk about what I know from the other rabbis from the Michigan Board of Rabbis. Last year, we actually created a unified policy for dealing with COVID so that congregants would know that uh, this was what all the Board of Rabbis agreed upon. This year, that is not the case, mm. <laughs> um, partly because of people preferring not to get vaccinated, uh, people not wanting to be told that they have to be masked up. So it's created a whole series of different ways of dealing with this. Hmm. So, yes, this is a new era in worship. And, and, of course, part of the imperative is that we keep one another safe. But at the same time, it seems like we have a pressure on the other side for people to be independent and uh, have the freedom. I guess with the freedom of worship, people feel that they have the freedom to worship as they see fit. Exactly. And I think it really creates a lot of problems also for the clergy who are in front of the congregation trying to bring everybody together, trying to uh, involve people in the service. And uh, in our case, a lot of that involves coming up and touching the Torah scroll and reading from the Torah scrolls. Well, Pastor Rudolph, this has obviously impacted your worship as well. Yes, it has, and we had been apart and worshiping virtually for over a year. We held our soft opening on the last Sunday in July so that we could make sure that everything was in place and everything was functioning the way we were hoping it, that it would. And then uh, on the first Sunday in August, we reconvened with worship, which was open to uh, whoever wanted to come, but we put a lot of safety protocols in place. We had everything from temperature checks to registration. 
when you register, you would receive a QR code. That QR code would be scanned. You would have to sanitize your hands. There is um, social distancing. Um, the only people who can sit together are families who come in together. Everyone has to remain uh, seated until they are directed by the ushers. And so we wanted to make sure we took every safety precaution possible to keep our worshipers safe. Uh, mm -hmm. Our sanctuary normally seats 600 and to allow for social distancing, we're only allowing about 150. With that said, most of our worshipers are still worshiping online. So we have hybrid worship where the majority of folks are still worshiping online via uh, YouTube Live and Facebook Live. But we do allow for about 150 or so to come in and worship in person. And since we started doing that again, it has been absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. So Imam Alismari, um, what has been your experience in terms of uh, worshiping in the midst of, uh, of the uh, pandemic? Going back 2020, I remember when the council had to make a decision, closing down the mosques, ending Friday prayers and congregating for Friday prayers, knowing that it's uh, obligatory, it's, it's mandatory to, to attend Fridays. And so to, to make such a decision requires a lot of uh, evidence. It requires uh, uh, understanding of the situation. And uh, I remember writing the letter uh, I was up for a few nights just, just praying that I'm not held accountable for such a decision. Even though it, it may have been obvious, we save lives, we have to protect the community, we have to help the community go go through this pandemic. And we closed the mosques and we, asked, we, we also asked the imams to close down their mosques and people were cooperative and it was a very smooth transition and, and people really paid attention. And I thank God for that and that was due to imam's presence and us working together and collaborating and 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 it was also based on their efforts and so 2020 passed by we had many mosques then that reopened of course we pushed for we pushed for vaccinations uh we had we made our mosques vaccination centers so uh so we can promote vaccinations so we can uh push the community towards it hopefully we can reopen and, and, and allow a safe environment for ourselves and our families. And since then, it's it's been beautiful. Um, many mosques are fully open. Uh, people are asked to wear their masks. People uh, here at the Unity Center, for an example, I think we have maybe over 95 to 97 or 98% of the people are vaccinated. We have a committee led by doctors is called the COVID-19 Task Force. And they're the ones that are following up, understanding what the challenges are. If we need some guidance or need the community needs to be reminded, they're always working behind the scene. And I believe such task force of qualified people has been very helpful. And since then, it's been very safe. And, and mosques also have been very safe and, and people have been cooperative, as, as I mentioned. I'm happy we're able to get through the majority of it safely. That's wonderful. You know, we, we've had... Now, I, I guess you would count this latest wave, this Delta variant, sort of four waves of COVID-19 that we've dealt with. And, and obviously in the first wave, nobody exactly knew what was going on. And then now in this fourth wave, we seem to see um, a different 
attitude. You know, there is, there is, of course, fatigue, but there is also the excitement that we might be close to the end of this whole process. I want to ask uh, Ganga Rajkumar, what has been your experience? You know, leading through a pandemic was not an easy task. So uh, we had to close down the temple completely for uh, visitors from March of uh, 2020 to June of 2020. However, uh, you know, uh, as per the temple tradition, we cannot uh, stop any of the religious rituals. So what we had was, uh, we have four priests at the temple. So we had at least one priest come and uh, uh, light the lamp and do the basic religious events at the temple. The devotees were uh, magnanimous enough to accept uh, uh, what's happening and they took full advantage of virtual webcasting of the whole event that was happening at that time. And, you know, one of the Hindu traditions is to serve holy water and serve prasad. Uh, you know, that's very important aspect of uh, Hinduism also. Yeah, devotees were uh, not able to do that. So starting June 14th, I think, we started uh, reopening for visitors during weekends. We followed all the CDC guidelines. We had online registration and we had people check the temperature and fully masked. One of the customs of uh, Hindu tradition is to fully bow down on the floor and do namaskar. People were not allowed to do that. We had actually a couple of vaccine drives also at our temple, which was very successful. 95%, I would say, of our members who visit the temple are fully vaccinated. Now we are fully open. They have to be fully masked and we still don't allow outside food to be brought inside the temple. Uh, even if we serve prasad, it's cooked uh, carefully in our kitchen by select people who are vaccinated and they're taking full precautions. How do all of you feel about the fact that, you know, I think we are trying to be extremely careful about our places of worship, but we're living in a world that does not appear to be very careful at all. Well, you have, you know, folks who are filling up Comerica Park or folks who are going to dances or folks who are going to dinners and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so the one place that we're used to having this intimate coming together is the one place that we are really emphasizing how we have to remain separate and distanced and uh, safe. So um, I'll start with the rabbi. Yeah, it is really a difficult uh, conflict for us. Those who are orthodox, and I want to speak from a perspective I personally am not, but the pandemic created a whole crisis because we're not supposed to even turn on Zoom or any technology on the Sabbath. That's considered work. work. For the most part, the orthodox did continue to meet in small groups in homes and stuff. Some stayed in their synagogue or their, their shuls, as they call it. For the rest of us, the Zoom option, in some ways, created a new atmosphere where people who had not attended the synagogue or had moved away suddenly appeared at your service. And, <laughs> and, and um, we did also a community-wide, a couple community-wide events, uh, services. And, oh, my gosh, for many people, it was just a blessed feeling to be together. 
But now, as you say, being able to really be together physically is quite a challenge, and most people are saying that, I would say, if they do, they're going to be masked because they just don't know who has been vaccinated and who hasn't. For the schools, that's a real challenge, the Sunday schools, the Hebrew schools. Are they going to meet or aren't they? The younger children can't get vaccines, so they're going to, for the most part, keep the kids in masks, too, in the classroom. Last year, though, for the most part, all the Hebrew schools and Sunday schools went virtual. I want to ask, Imam, so you mentioned that you have some 90% uh, vaccination level. Does that give you uh, a, a bit more freedom or a bit more leeway in terms of how you worship or how you protect your congregants? It does to some extent, but it does show that the community is is cooperating. So it, it shows that the community is taking this very seriously. We still have social distancing. People are still masked up. Uh, we ask people to wash their hands, to sanitize their hands. Part of our prayer is that we prostrate. We put our foreheads on the floor. So we ask everyone to bring their own rug, even though it's carpeted. It's been beautiful. People are happy to be back. We're just trying our best to to serve the community, to allow people to come back. It's been very long for families, even just being together at home, people, even spouses, you know, people always wish to have time with their spouses. Now they're like, okay, we need some time (laughs) apart. We need to take a break. So people are just happy to be back. So we're just trying to work with the community as much as we can. And along that, we're keeping them safe. That's wonderful. And, And from the Hindu tradition, Um, Do you see that same excitement the imam was talking about, even though it's not where it was, at least it is what it is? Absolutely. Uh, Imam Imam is totally right. Uh, People are really happy to be back. Earlier, if, um, you know, having fun and uh, uh, having prasad was one of their main uh, objectives to come to the temple, now it's actually uh, faith. I I totally believe that faith has increased many fold after this pandemic. And, uh, you know, they just want to uh, come to the temple and get that peace of mind, you know. A lot of people are, are visiting the temple for that reason alone. And due to the, uh, you know, unpredictability of the nature of this virus, even though we are all fully vaccinated, we are still being careful and we're still uh, masking ourselves. And this is not going to go anywhere. It's going to be with us. And the point is to uh, learn to live with it and live safely. When we've gone from the actual service to the virtual service, it in and of itself presents some challenges. One of the challenges, for example, is where do you put the camera to make it look like church, to make it look like worship, to make it look like the synagogue? Or I've noticed, for example, that if it's focused on the pastor, then it kind of looks like we don't have anybody else involved. But sometimes when you pull it back, then you're looking at a relatively empty temple or church or synagogue. And all of a sudden, we've gone from being uh, religious leaders to becoming producers. We've got to learn about cameras and angles and lighting and ring lights. Uh, how, How has that adjustment been for all of you in your community? Well, I'll start with Pastor Rudolph. 
thank God we are blessed to have a wonderful media team. And our media director does an outstanding job. So in that regard, I don't have to get too involved with that. Now, when I'm at home, that's a different story. I have my ring light. I have my you know, <laughs> things that I have to do for my, my home studio. What we did have to do was a complete overhaul of our cameras and things of that nature. We had to, you know, get new microphones because what we realized is that while we were out with COVID, our only means of getting our worship out was online. Right. And so we had to make that the best possible production that we could. You're fortunate, like you said, you're blessed to have a media team because there are many churches I've seen where somebody is holding up an iPhone and they are shaking <laughs> and the lighting is not good. And, you know, it's like, it's amazing how we've become used to seeing well-produced programs and all of a sudden we go to church and we see, we see Abbott and Costello. Rabbi, you know. Yes, I was going to say, I learned from my students about the green screen and the virtual backgrounds. And we do have a Zoom person at the temple who would introduce the services with some kind of a, a funny or interesting video. So that set the mood also for our Sabbath services a lot of times. But we were in our homes. We weren't. <laughs> I had a picture of the temple behind me. So it was real fake. And then sometimes I had slides from my visit to Jerusalem so I could you know, jump around to sweeten it up a little yes. bit. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Imam, what's, what's your experience uh, when you were on, on, um, well, I guess you technically still are as well, but when, when that was your principal uh, form of communication? It was pretty tough in the beginning because for me personally, I had no, I have no social media. So just, just where to put the camera you know, the angle, what way, as you said, should we zoom in? Should we zoom out? The youth were very helpful. <laughs> so we utilized their talents. Everything was based off their input. They knew immediately what's most effective. So we just, we just went after them. And I guess hopefully we did good. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that when you are able to give your young folks uh, a very important part to play in the service, they rise to the occasion. And it mm -hmm. really lets us know that we, we need everybody, right? So that's that's wonderful. Ganga, how about you? We were also uh, blessed to have a wonderful IT team who were able to bring in the latest technology. And, you know, we were also able to train the priests. Uh, they're all pretty tech savvy now. Usually our, our camera is focused on the deity that is uh, special for that day. So we didn't face much, you know, issues with that. Only thing, if the Wi-Fi was not working properly, uh, people were not able to watch. And immediately we, uh, we get a couple of uh, messages or... You know, we have a WhatsApp group. Uh, we get some complaints every now and then. We used to take care of it. And we had uh, larger uh, participation uh, during the pandemic. That's uh, something I think the, that the imam alluded to. The idea, and, and also, uh, Rabbi, you, you alluded to this idea that when you went to online worship, you saw people, you saw faces that you had not seen in a long time. Maybe you've never seen before. And I experienced um, a similar thing. We had uh, uh, people who were joining us from Alabama, 
<laughs> it was really wonderful and, and gratifying. And then in terms of Bible study, then you would also get this idea. I don't know about all of you, but I know I've driven miles to get to Bible study to have nobody there. And then you open it up, and all of a sudden you've got not only your folks, but you've got folks that you don't even know. So question is, what have we learned and what will we not go back to even when things become normal? It is really um, wonderful to be able to offer what we can in studying and, and courses and whatnot. I myself have visited other congregations and been able to go to a program that I would have had to travel hundreds of miles to get to and spend a lot of money for like a a weekend of study, and now it was all on Zoom. But the downside is uh, not only am I doing that, everybody else is doing that too. So there's like a we're like ABC, NBC, CBS. <laughs> We're competing against each other in some ways. And uh, are we in the entertainment business or are we in the spiritual business? And I don't like that at all, seeing myself while I'm offering prayer. It really disturbs me, but I, I say, okay, I hope that I'm reflecting the best of my inner self and that that's coming across somehow on the screen. Hmm. There is something lost when you're watching a screen or talking into a mic or facing one direction. Um, uh, Pastor, how about you? Are there things that you have learned that you like uh, about having the wider outreach of the webcast? um, Or will you abandon it entirely when we go back to normalcy, whatever that is? or will you keep elements? Will it be high? Will it continue to be hybrid? So I think hybrid church, from my perspective, is not only the church of the present, but the church of the future. One of the reasons why we were ready to go from week one with our broadcast is that I was already talking with our media team to say we need to be streaming our worship uh, because I had this vision of being able to reach people you know, from all over the world. My godmother watches us in New Brunswick, Canada. Um, I have relatives in Florida who watch us. People all over the congregation have folks all over the nation watching us. And so it has allowed us to very much broaden our circle and our reach. Um, And so for me, there's no way that we would ever stop streaming. As much as we might not like to make church convenient, the reality is people like the idea of being able to watch church on demand. And so if they don't catch us Sunday morning during worship, they will watch us, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning or Tuesday night. You know, we get electronic giving notifications on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays because people are watching worship on those days, not just on Sunday. And so it's, For me, I think it's the way of the future. I think it's a wonderful way to increase your impact and to broaden your reach. And so I fully embrace it. During the earliest days when we were trying to get into virtual worship, we were coming from my house. And there was no organ. There was no amen. There was no (laughs) preach brother. There was none of that, right? And so when you have even a small core of worshipers, it really does 
make the service feel more dynamic and more alive. But you also have the sense that you are reaching people who would not otherwise be able to, to participate or to come out to a service. It's pretty exciting. Ganga Rajkumar, when you look at this idea of all of these churches coming together, I remember there's a very memorable PSA that ran that had folks from, you know, Baptists, Methodists, uh, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, everybody was just saying, come and get your shot. Do you think that in a strange way that this period has brought us together and has given us mutual respect for our very traditions? Yeah, absolutely. One of the main uh, principles of Hinduism is to be all-embracing. So we have always encouraged uh, interfaith dialogues and everything at our temple. I believe in you know coming together in person. So this virtual um, worshiping has been a blessing in the year of the pandemic. But I personally would like to uh, wean out uh, the uh, virtual telecast and again, come back together in person because it's not a matter of just religious activities. We also uh, try to uh, develop our cultural practices and, uh, you know, children need to know how how we dress up and come and what is our culture and Indian tradition is all very colorful and how you address your elders. I personally would love to come back Mm -hmm. to the original, get back to our normal, whatever that is, very soon without a doubt. Um, One of the things that that church is, or that worship is, or that temple is, is this sense of community. Do you think there's a danger of us getting so used to the convenience of catching our service whenever we can or wherever we want, that we will start to, you know, be challenged in in terms of that sense of community? Imam, uh, maybe you want to take this one. I do believe that we know by now that we are responsible for saving lives and to make sure that our communities are safe. But we're also responsible for preserving faith. That uh, normally would take place in person in our institutions where they can come, communicate, listen in person. There's greater reward when you pray uh, in congregation for a reason. The Prophet, peace be upon him, encouraged his followers to participate at least once a day, twice a day in in congregation. People come on Fridays. Ramadan is a communal event, and it's there for a reason. It preserves the community. It preserves one's faith. Uh, I realize that people have gotten too comfortable with the virtual world, and people have become socially awkward. Youngsters and adults no longer know how to communicate well. And I felt that this has created barriers and there has to be tough decisions. At our center here at the Unity Center, I made sure that we we, we cut off virtual programs. And we did that for a reason. Uh, Number one, we're not trying to share our message with the world. So we had to identify our role. What's, What's my role as an imam? Are we trying to grow this circle where we want people to cater to the broader society? Or are we collaborating with other people that have that as their mission? So we collaborated with different organizations that do provide virtual programs, but then we don't want to neglect our community in the process. And I feel that even many imams uh, now are catering more towards Facebook and and now they have their cameras up and and it's become a distraction. 
So we just had to make those decisions that even though we want to share the message and we want pe people to hear, and we had many people that were commenting and they wanted to attend, but we're like, you know what? We don't want to gain the outside world and lose our uh, small community. So we would rather people come and attend in person on Fridays. So we made the tough decision to end virtual programs. Well, I think what I'm hearing is that it becomes something that if it fits the needs of your congregation, uh, you use it accordingly. I know that in our church, we're a Baptist congregation. We get that idea that part of the message of the day is to get vaccinated. Part of the message of the day is to convince those who are hesitant that this is a, a necessary step toward uh, getting back to normalcy, getting back to worship. We have not had a choir in in a you know in a year and a half either. We have a soloist, but it's still not the same as a choir. Versus, I think what I hear from your mom saying is that when you've got the luxury of having over ninety percent of your congregation vaccinated, then you don't necessarily have to reach out in the same way that folks who are preaching to an unvaccinated community across the country. This does give you options that maybe, you know, we hadn't even thought about just in the course of, of our worship. Let me ask this. We have representatives of various faith traditions that are coming together and, and we're all experiencing uh, some of the same pressures, some of the same challenges. While, again, it seems like the rest of the world is just happily and, and blithely moving along. And has this given us an opportunity to connect with people on a very different level? Um, what I mean by that is, the, the life and death, the fact that the mortality was such a, a situation where folks who never thought about the big issues of life, about relationships, about legacy, about family, all of a sudden were forced to understand that, you know, life is, is temporal and that you better value it and you better value those relationships in your various aspects or various places of worship, has the pandemic itself given you a message that people maybe largely were ignoring in the first part of this 21st century? I'll start with you, Rabbi. Okay, well, I time and again have said, it's been like Noah on the ark. <laughs> really having to face what does faith mean for each of us? And being alone and not knowing when this was going to end. I reread the commentaries and it said Noah was on that ark for an entire year. So mm. that made me a little bit more encouraged when I realized the <laughs> pandemic was going on that long. But um, I have to say that... Probably, yes, valuing life and the preciousness of it has really hit us in the faith and face. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, probably the most difficult moments for many have been 
not being able to give that hug, not being able to share that food, especially when there was a death or even a happy event, a mm-hmm. bar mitzvah, a wedding. People have had to do this very in small groups or not at all, and putting it, uh, putting funerals on video with just one or two people. It's just very alienating. Ganga, Rajkumar, what's, what's been your experience in a time of, of really sickness, death, all of those things that we, we look at that are very heavy-duty issues. And as Rabbi said, and people often have to go through it without the very support system that they're used to. It has been a very sad situation in the sense, uh, you know, we were not able to even give a proper goodbye to the people who pass. Uh, in some cases, the final rites uh, were done by the hospital officials or whoever, my own uncle back in India, none of his children or his spouse could uh, see him, you know. Mm. It has been a very sad situation. And also that we had to shut down the temple. We hadn't done it in 40 years of, it, of its existence. This virtual uh, thing came into uh, came as a blessing to us. So more and more I think about it, Faith is the only thing that can keep us uh, together and uh, can help us move in the right direction. Imam, what's your perspective on this? So the Prophet says, peace be upon him, that there are two blessings that are undervalued. So they're not appreciated, health and time. Mm. And also we have a saying that, I'm just translating it, it's, it's in Arabic, that health is a crown that is placed in the head's of of healthy people that cannot be uh, seen only by the sick hmm. uh, because people don't appreciate the blessings they have and the experiences they had and uh, and we're reminded we're reminded as the prophet taught us live for the hereafter as if you're going to pass away tomorrow and live for this world uh, and you know work for this world as if you're going to uh, live uh, for eternal. So we remind people that take advantage of of, of your day. Take advantage of uh, the, your family, your spouse, your loved ones. We don't know what can happen. The idea that we have all these blessings that, that are there that we may not acknowledge as blessings is a challenge in itself. And I think this pandemic really allowed us to, to appreciate each other more and to appreciate the idea that I can go visit my parents. I can hug them. I can go out and, and, and take a walk. So these are blessings and I feel that these were reminders that we were given. And, you know, in our tradition, I will end with this, that in every evil, there will always be some good. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's, it's our responsibility to derive that good and to discover it. Absolutely. Pastor Rudolph. For us, COVID has hit us pretty hard. We have lost members of our own faith community who we love and held dear. There are some within the church who came close to death and are still dealing with long hauler symptoms uh, over a year later. But even in the midst of that, what I have been emphasizing is that we should all come out of this pandemic change for the better. Something within us ought to change us to the point where we would stop taking our loved ones for granted, stop taking life for granted. Uh, we should all be drawn closer to God as a result of this pandemic. I think one of the things that we learned very early on was our dependence on God 
And in the beginning, many of the things that we often substitute God for were taken. You know, we weren't able to do uh, the basketball games and, and the entertainment that we normally would have. And I think that alone invited us to commune with God on a higher level. And even with those things now returning, I think it's up to us to determine within ourselves that we're going to seek God at a greater level. Amen. Well, I want to thank all of you for your wonderful input and taking the time out to talk about this idea of worship during COVID, worship in the time of the pandemic. And again, um, we are reminded of probably why our podcast is called Faith and Works, because we're talking about faith, but we're really dealing with the works. Uh, and this has been a working year. <laughs>